Matthew 21. Now when they, the crowd, and the two blind guys, drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went, and they did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and Jesus sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed Jesus were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the, to the Lord, to the, to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee. Thank you, Mark. Again, turning away from the ancient story of a walking people in Exodus to turn toward Jesus in our heart, in our mind, in this holy week as we enter into it. Jesus has come. He is coming again. The King of Kings to bring God's kingdom near. But there is a, a, a nice bridge from the cries of God's people oppressed in Egypt Remember, God heard their cries. Their cries were very similar to the, the cry, Hosanna. God, save us. God, rescue. God, deliver. It's what they were crying of Jesus as he came into the city, up through the streets on this donkey on that very first Palm Sunday, though they would not have named it such yet. So we too should resonate fairly easily today with those cries. Maybe it is on behalf of your immediate family or personally. That prayer, that cry, God save, God rescue, God deliver, God arrive, come, as we sang, do not be silent, come, Lord Jesus, come. Perhaps it is, it is more attuned right now to our broader community, to, to tragedy or hurt or pain or loss in our broader community or certainly around our country. I uh, feel like that would be true to say that statement I any week. Uh, we might be tuned into other hard events or tragedies we see. Uh, certainly some of the recent events strike a few of us more maybe close to heart in our ways of serving and ministering and work in our community. And we recognize that. And we recognize uh, unnecessary pain and loss and hurt that seems abundant. So that may be your heart cry today. Come, Lord Jesus. Hosanna, save now, God, rescue, deliver. So we can enter into uh, this story in so many ways as we turn our, our hearts and our minds to it. The gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they give us uh, many vivid pictures, stories, pictures of the coming kingdom, of the kingdom at work. We see it throughout their accounting. That's why Jesus had come, to bring 
the kingdom of God near. And we see it in so many ways. As he healed all who came to him, all the sick, and not just receiving those, but even going in pursuit of those fighting illnesses or diseases, reaching into the lives of those who are hurting, even touching the leper or touching the unclean. Not too long ago, we journeyed through the gospel of Mark together, and we saw that, that the dirtiness or the illness or the sin of the world did not come and invade Jesus. He went into those places and brought his holiness, his healing, and his kingdom into those places. Those are pictures of the kingdom coming in its, in its foretaste before it comes in its fullness as signs. We see it in other ways in some of his, his other, his sign miracles, we could say. The, the abundant wine that he made at that first wedding recorded by John as his first miracle. Maybe 180 gallons of wine from water. And a similar miracle when he fed the thousands, maybe multiple times with a few fish and bread. These were signs to indicate what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom comes in abundance, in lavishness, in richness, where everyone will be filled and everyone will have joy. And there's no end to it. They're constantly picking up the extra pieces. It's as if God can't do any other but go over the top in his generosity and his abundance. Those are signs of the kingdom on display. We see it uh, kind of throughout the story. We see it in the heart of the Messiah, the heart of God through his birth, through his humility, in washing the feet of his disciples, what he came to do. These are signs of his character, of the character of God. And none more splendid, magnificent, exemplary than the three that we enter into in this Holy Week, beginning today on Palm Sunday, moving through the Passover meal with his disciples, again where he washes the feet, and then moving into his arrest, betrayal, and crucifixion, which we recognize this Friday on that good but tragic Friday. It's worthy to cry over, isn't it? I love the, the cries of new life. It reminds us of God at work. And then moving into the Resurrection Sunday, where Jesus first hung on the cross with arms outstretched to the world and then conquered sin, death, and evil through the grave and rose again. These are signs of the kingdom. Our God is a resurrection God. We'll focus in on that theme next Sunday as we gather together. So this is worthy of turning our, our hearts and minds to, to see that the coming kingdom of God in Jesus is on display from his lowly and humble birth to 33-ish years later in the way that he chooses to enter into the city to announce his kingdom on a donkey. What a powerful sign that truly is. Israel had been longing for a coming king, a rescuer, a deliverer, the answer to the ancient prophecies of the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ to come, to deliver them and to rescue them, to conquer and to rule. Ultimately, Jesus is that king. He is that Messiah. He was and is. But he would do so not in their expectations, not in the ways of the world, and maybe not even in the ways that they wanted. And we would rightly ask ourselves that same question. Is this the king that we want? 
that we cry out to, when we make those cries of, Hosanna, come save us, God, are, are we inferring what only we want Jesus to be and to do? Or are we inviting the king who came at first to come again? And are we inviting his kingdom to come in, into and through our lives in the same way, in the same character? And I think it's a right and humble prayer and reflection for us to make. His kingdom is not of this world. We spent well over a year going through Mark and seeing the upside-down kingdom. Ultimately, it is the way it was always meant to be, but in the eyes of the world, it's upside-down. Everything is flipped on its head. Jesus wouldn't come and deliver and rescue and triumph over earthly rulers or oppressors or empires like Rome, though that was the cry of the people. Come, deliver us from this oppression in Rome that we might be our own people once again. Jesus would come and would deliver and would triumph and would rescue, but it would be from greater oppressions, the impression of evil overall, of sin and of death. Jesus came to bring this kingdom, not in the ways of the world or like any earthly kingdoms, but wholly other, which is not just good news, it is incredible news, if we would hear it rightly. His kingdom will not look or operate like worldly kingdoms and powers who rule and enforce their empire by force, oppression, corruption, abuse, and often greed. Jesus says this powerfully to his disciples in the maybe the paragraph, I would say, that describes the upside-down kingdom in the words of Jesus, maybe better than any other place in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10, verse 42. In chapter 11 of Mark, Jesus will ride into the city. So this is the preparation, the way that Mark prepares us to receive our coming king. Jesus said to his followers, you know that those who are considered rulers of the nations, they lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them. They take power. They take dominance. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must serve. Whoever would be first among you must be a bondservant to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus will rule, the great one, but he will do so through love, sacrifice, grace, and mercy. He will give his power away, often to the lowly and the least expected ones, that they might learn how to lead and to rule because they know who they truly are. Nothing without God's call and invitation in their life. Is our world not desperate for more of that kind of leadership, of rule that ultimately gives and empowers, serves and looks to those that are most oppressed, most marginalized, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, these are the first words that Mark wants us to hear from the lips of Jesus, where he comes and declares who he is and what he has come to do. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Turn from what you are pursuing. Turn a new direction. That's repentance, to turn away and turn toward. For the kingdom of God is near. Come, walk in it, come, enter it. And his very next words, and this is important, 
As I mentioned earlier, come follow me, he says. This is the inauguration of the kingdom of God. And it's the same invitation to us every day for those of us that would become and continue to be followers. Come, follow me. Notice he doesn't say with his first words, the kingdom of God has come or it is near. Trust me, believe, obey. All important things in, our, in the journey of our faith. But his first words are, come follow. Come follow. Come walk with. Come see. And then begin to emulate as we grow in faith and knowledge. I think that's powerful and a reminder we probably need every day. We're invited to follow. This perfect and sovereign and good king has come from heaven to earth, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, to bring his perfect kingdom. I picked up a paragraph from early on in the Mark series nearly two years ago, and I said, does this sound like good news? More than ever, I hope, considering the world that we live in, a governing authority who uses their power only for good, who loves, who serves, who gives, who is humble, who speaks wisdom, who shows mercy and compassion, who is just, and who will hold all who serve under him to the same standard and character. I still think that's fairly applicable for us today. May it be. To quote Dr. Preston Sprinkle, the way of Jesus is counter-cultural. It's an upside-down, inside-out a kingdom where weakness is power, power is weakness, and suffering leads to glory. This is the upside-down kingdom that we're invited into by following. So all of this makes perfect sense when we hold it. It didn't to the first followers of Jesus. They still wrestled and grappled with who they wanted Jesus to be. But it makes perfect sense now on this side of history the way that Jesus chooses to enter into the city and announce his kingdom. Lowly and on a donkey. A warrior king would have ridden in to the city to declare his triumph on a war horse or in a chariot, gilded and glinting in the sunlight, to bring all eyes to himself, not the way Jesus entered into the city. As we heard read, back to Matthew chapter 21, verse 6, here again. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The passage has a crescendo to it. The king has come into the capital city of Jerusalem. Finally, it's the time of the Passover. So light, this is where the crowds would have come from. Many Jews in the surrounding region, the diaspora, would, would pilgrimage to Jerusalem one to three times a year for some of the various feasts. This one was likely at the top. This one along with uh, Yom Kippur, where they would make a pilgrimage if they were able uh, the, the Jewish historian Josephus recounts a Passover week later on after this, may, maybe many years after this, that estimates were over 2 million 
Pilgriming Jews came into the city of Jerusalem to, over the course of that week to swell it to, to a breaking point. And that may have been one of, one of the greatest. I'm not sure what was happening in that day at that time. But nonetheless, we can imagine the city's population having swelled by three, four, five times its normal to hundreds of thousands being in the city to celebrate Passover week. So the crowds are there. They're in place. And now this New, this event is, is, is happening, and you'd almost hear the, the stirring of the crowds and, and the murmuring of what exactly is happening. Who is this? And, and the stories needing to be told quickly. There was more to their background. What, was, what, would, what would have been fully in the minds of the Jews at this time was another triumphal entry, as this one has often been called, of Jesus coming in, though at this point he had ultimately triumphed over nothing from their perspective. We know it was all ultimately done already. But this other triumphal entry nearly a century earlier really set the stage for what was happening in this moment. And while no one was there at that event, uh, it was very well ingrained in the minds of the Jews because every year at this anniversary date, they would celebrate a very similar procession recognizing another deliverance of the Jewish people by a man named Judas. Judas the Maccabean, also known as Judas the Hammer, who rose up with his brothers and collected an army to deliver Israel and Jerusalem at the time from the hands of the oppressive Syrians. It was an unexpected deliverance and victory that was proclaimed and announced throughout the land and forevermore was, would, was meant to be celebrated annually as God's favor and deliverance of the Jewish people. Here's a passage from the book 1 Maccabees. We don't often turn here in our Protestant Bibles. 1 Maccabees 13, 51. On the 23rd day of the second month, in the 171st year, the Jews entered the city and the temple courts with praise and palm branches, with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments, with hymns and songs, because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. Simon decreed that every year they should celebrate this day with rejoicing. On that day, Judas... Maccabeus, known as Judas the Hammer, had entered into Jerusalem, having triumphed over Syria, to great shouts and proclamations and waving of palm branches. Record has it that he came in on a horse or on a chariot, just as you would expect, that all eyes would be upon him. He was in that time and that day their deliverer, a true war hero one to celebrate throughout the ages. Well, here we are, a hundred years later, the city of Jerusalem abuzz with the celebration of Passover, not the reflection of, of Judas the Maccabean, but that would have fully been in so many people's minds, having been there for similar events, when this scene starts to emerge and the noise starts to spread and the palm branches start to be waved and shouts of Hosanna start to be proclaimed. God, save us. Save us now. Who is this? Who is this riding on a donkey? Not a 
war horse, not in a chariot, a lowly, humble, common animal that Jesus intentionally selected. By the way, with a very different pace than a war horse or a chariot, slowly moving through the streets. That donkey was a sign and symbol of the upside-down kingdom, that Jesus was coming to inaugurate a new kind of kingdom, not in the ways of the world or what anyone truly would have expected. Ultimately, even receiving this fanfare, Jesus knew was merely fickle. For within five days, the shouts of the crowd, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, would change to crucify him, crucify him. How quickly wavering are often the tones of the crowds. Did you hear in that recounting, it said that those disciples, the crowds of disciples, we often think of the 12, the 12 selected ones, but at this specific point, there were hundreds if not thousands made up of the crowds of disciples following Jesus. Believing or coming to believe maybe that he he was who he was claiming to be, either firsthand experiencing some of those signs and wonders that we recounted, or hearing from a beloved friend or, or neighbor or fellow Jew that they had been there in those times, and so they're coming to believe and they're following Jesus. I noticed that, I think, strikingly in contrast to what we read at the beginning of Mark, where Jesus' first words were what? Come, follow me. What do we see here in the fanfare of the world to declare the king in, in their way, in their image, that the crowds of disciples went ahead of him? Jesus said, follow me. They went ahead of him, believing that they were fully justified to lay down the palm branches in the way that they have always done for their deliverer, for Judas the hammer. Jesus was no hammer. He was a carpenter, a rabbi. Some were proclaiming the prophet, having come. And we can so easily do this today, believing we're justified to go out, to run out ahead of Jesus when he says, follow me. Model your life after me. And we can get out in front trying to stir up the crowd and our own energy for what we want to see happen in our way, our agenda, and our timing. To much fanfare, it will only fade away. Let's be reminded again today that our king comes humbly with the invitation to be with him, not to run off ahead, but to follow. Jesus needs no fanfare. He does not need us to strum up for him. The attention of the crowds, he's not interested in it. He's interested in those who will follow and be with him, who will love as he loves, give as he gives, serve as he serves. This is also to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah, as Matthew recounts. Zechariah 9.9, written hundreds of years earlier. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
Let me read that extended section. You'll hear it even in fullness as Matthew had in mind. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. I'll take them away. I will take away the battle bow. It will be broken. For he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from river to the ends of the earth. As we already sang this morning, all the weapons of the earth will be melted down into tools for gardening. Captures that same heart of the prophet Zephaniah, which ultimately, I believe, is why Jesus even allowed this event to happen in the first place. I will fulfill these prophecies. The sign of the kingdom coming lowly and humbly, where the chariot and the war horse has been removed, where the weapons are laid down, Yes, where palm branches are laid in their place. I think he received that. I just have this picture of, of Matthew years later as he's sitting for his morning devotions, a little groggy from sleep with his, his coffee in hand, taking a sip, going to his Bible reading plan. Okay, what's the passage for this morning? Zechariah 9. Oi, here we go. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shall have heard this before. Your king comes to you, righteous, having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of... Wait a minute. No way. That is totally going in my book. I don't know. For me, seeing these kinds of potential or imagining these potential aha moments isn't hard when we read through the story of the Gospels, especially in Mark, who do not hide for a moment how slow the disciples themselves were to connect the dots, to come to believe, to come to see Jesus as the fulfillment of these prophecies. Three times in Mark, we see Jesus proclaiming, it will happen this way. I will be arrested. I will be betrayed. I will be crucified. Yet I will rise again. Again and again, he is declaring what must come. And again and again, the disciples either refuse, deny, or reject. And we often wonder, were they simply dull or easily distracted? Or were they doubting? Or was it that they simply did not want a king like this, a Messiah like this? They wanted one in another way, in their way. They wanted one maybe that more, that many have pictured in the, the vision in Revelation where Jesus does come riding on the clouds of heaven on a war horse with a sword coming from his mouth with his robe dipped in blood as if that was the blood of his enemies and not his own. As if the sword were some kind of weapon and not a declaration of the word of God to divide the truth from what is false. There's been a complete misinterpretation of that passage, and yet we want it. We cling to this idea of this coming king to deliver, to rule, to reign, to bring justice in our way, in our agenda, in our timing. We seem like these first disciples and even the crowds to not want a servant king who rides on a donkey, who wraps a towel around his waist to wash the feet of his disciples, even the one who will betray him, who will lay down his life, who will put, say, put down the sword, Peter, instead of fight. While accusations and false claims and insults come, will remain silent and will embrace the cross 
we seem to not want this kind of king. Maybe not much has changed, that we want a God in our image. I believe it was Voltaire, or at least it's attributed to Voltaire, who said, God made man and woman in his image, and ever since we've been trying to repay the favor. Jesus will have none of it. We don't need another worldly empire, regime, or government. We don't need another earthly king or dictator. We don't need to be stirred up by the empty promises of vindication and victory. We know how that story always goes. We need a king and a kingdom, not of this world. A reign of true justice, mercy, peace, and love. Not only should we be people who yield to this kingdom, we should be people who long for it with every fiber of our being. Are we not yet desperate for it? What else must happen in our world before we will truly turn to this Jesus, the rabbi, not the warrior, the carpenter, not the hammer? Seemingly to make the point the way that Mark ends his account in Mark chapter 11, verse 11, after riding into the city to all of this fanfare, coming into the temple courts, Jesus entered Jerusalem, looked around at everything, and since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. When I preached this message, I called it the anticlimactic entry not just the triumphant one that is often proclaimed. Matthew tends to, 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 to lift it up again to fulfill the prophecies of uh, Zechariah. We see Mark, I think, intentionally saying, Jesus saw that it was already too late. Rejecting the crowds, the cacophony, the cheers, the temple courts. They were ready to crown him as king then and there, figuratively to sit upon the throne, to be their ruler and deliverer. And though he would, it would not be in their way. And he sees it all. And he sees that it is too late. And he turns and leaves. The way of redemption and victory would be through the cross and through the grave. The shouts of, Hosanna, save us now that would change to crucify him in those mere five days. How will we respond again, perhaps to a message that we're used to? How many Palm Sundays have you walked through in your journey and your story? Perhaps there's some here that that number can be counted on one hand. For most of us, it's more of our lifetime. How will we respond to this same message of this same humble king coming to deliver us today, now, and his world and to bring his kingdom near? Will, will our cries of Hosanna today be filled with heartfelt faith and endurance in the days to come? Will they not change Will our cries of God save and rescue and deliver not be attached to our own ways 
and timing and agendas of it must look like this for justice to truly be. But may they be proclaimed with a wholehearted following. God, we are not going to run out ahead. We are going to follow your ways and your will. We can make it personal today as I began by inviting us to pray that prayer. Hosanna, here. Yes, God has brought his salvation to, to, to most of us who have experienced it. We need to experience it again today. Save here again today. I need you, Jesus. Some of us are in places in our life that we thought we would never be. Maybe most of us, if we're willing to reflect. And some of that is good. Some of that means loss, means pain, means uncertainty about the days to come. Some of us, you here or listening online, are in the hardest season of your life. And you could try to dismiss it and say, there's others that are going through so, such harder things. At least I'm not, and fill in the blank. And no, don't do that. If you're walking through the hardest season of your life, it's the hardest season of your life. It's what Jesus is inviting you to walk through now. Not that he's sending it, he's inviting you to keep going with him. Not to compare, comparison is really of no use, but to simply say, this is my hardest season and Jesus is with you. Then that prayer, Hosanna, save now, deliver now, is easy to pray. For others of us who aren't in that place, have either already walked through that place and are in a, in a good season. Maybe it's not easy or perfect. It won't be the side of, of the fulfillment of his kingdom. But it's a good season. You can say that. Receive it. Be filled with gratitude. That's one of our, our threefold. I'll remind us again of being people who wake and walk and thank to order our lives this season as we journey. Be, be filled with gratitude if you're in one of those seasons. And your, your prayer of Hosanna may not be as personal, right? It may be for loved ones in your midst, in your neighborhood, in your workspace, in your extended family. That's where your heart goes and you intercede today for them. And perhaps Jesus leads you to follow up with them today or this week because you know they are walking through a hard or hardest season and you see them and your heart breaks and you grieve with those who grieve and you pray these same prayers that join us throughout our, our, our beloved brothers and sisters throughout history. They need Jesus to come, to not be silent, to show up, to walk with them. And they need the encouragement that we are walking with them also. And our heart may be tuned then again to the broader community or world, to people we may never come in direct contact with, but our heart simply breaks over the sudden loss or tragedy or brokenness or evil we see on display. And that's where our cries of Hosanna go and enter across the globe, across the nation, to places that Jesus already is. Our prayer isn't God see them and do something, it's be there in fullness, that your people there and even those who don't yet know you will know you. That you, being the resurrection God, can take death 
and evil and bring life and hope. That's who you are. God, be who you are. So however you are stirred to pray and to cry out, God, save us now. God, come now. And maybe it's all three as we reflect, as we sing, as we prepare to come to the table. Some of you will easily be able to sing these words. I invite you to do so. Some of you will get choked up in some of those words for various reasons. Bring your heart and offering to your King Jesus. Put yourself in that position of following, not running out ahead, but of following. And then be people of movement. The reason we have the table set for you to come and receive, again, a reminder that we are people of movement whenever possible. We draw near to him, for he has drawn near to us. I heard this week, I, I thought a great quote, as we come into our, our awareness of beginning to follow Jesus, we recognize that our, in our whole life, he's been chasing after us. But as we grow in our followership, as we mature, it becomes us chasing after him. Maybe his pace speeds up a little bit or we've drifted. We're chasing out. We want more of him. We want to be close to him. So draw near and pursue. Receive the elements, the gluten-free, vegan-free, egg-free offering bread that we can all come to the same table. Receive, hold. We'll sing two songs. We'll pause. We'll partake together in our first meal. And then we'll celebrate a meal here after.